I'm going to start episode 78 of Edge of Your Seat Podcast with one question. Who does not like strawberries on their pancakes? I decided I should eat before I start potting, make sure I got some brain food, and I know what I'm talking about, things like that. So I'm like, hey, why not make some pancakes? I got these strawberries I need to be ate before they're disgusting and got to be thrown away. So I had some strawberry pancakes and it was delicious. And if you do not like strawberry pancakes, you are insane. Or you need to check your taste buds, or you might just need to have them again to refresh your memory to let you know that strawberry pancakes are delicious. That's how we're going to start Edge of Your Seat 78. I am Brandon Lachance, your host. And it's a beautiful day with a lot of things to talk about. You know, in this Corona COVID-19, we haven't had a lot of stuff except that. And of course, we are going to tackle that. My guest today is Jennifer Castle Escatel. She is a Mendota resident, but she is fighting the good battle of COVID-19 because she is a nurse and she has signed a contract to be in New York. She is in Manhattan, going to hospitals every day, trying to save lives and stop the spread of this crazy virus that has shut down the world. So want to send a thank you to Jen. It was awesome to speak with her. She goes over a lot of stuff, COVID-19 style, and of her experience in New York. She's got a lot of great insight because, like I said, she's on the front lines. She is with it every single day. So definitely a very special guest for this episode. And we will get to her after I break down a few things, including... What Corona is doing in Illinois, the governor, J.B. Pritzker, has extended the stay-at-home order until the end of May, wants us to wear masks outside of her house, and I saw something today that teachers, schools, students, parents, everybody involved, that we should prepare for e-learning being extended into the fall. So right now, there is no signs of let-up. Like We need to be as cautious and safe as possible and Pritzker's doing that. You can say what you want to about him. Say what you want to about the government. Tons of conspiracy theorists out there. And this is crazy and we shouldn't be doing this. But people are sick and people are dying. That should be the number one focus on everybody's part. Lives do matter. Whether they're black, Asian, white, male, female. They all matter. Old, young, sick, not sick. All of us matter. And that's the most important point here. We're looking way past that or not looking at it at all and are like, hey, these statistics are wrong. These numbers aren't correct. Okay, I looked yesterday and it said 53,000 people in the United States have passed away. Take away 52,000 and that's still 1,000 people that have died from this virus that we are trying to learn, but it has quarantined the entire world, not just the United States. Oh, but we can add another 52,000. Take away half of it. 27,000, 26,000, 25,000. We can go keep going down and down and down and down. That is a lot of people to lose their lives in a month and a half. And then there's the other people saying that it doesn't matter what you die from, they're putting the COVID-19 label on it to increase the numbers, to make us think that this virus is way worse than it is, add fear to us. But if this virus can cause other things to happen, like pneumonia or very severe diarrhea. Jen Castle Escatel goes into all the things 
that COVID-19 does and how you can't breathe. And if you're on a ventilator, you do not have good chances of living. There are a lot of things that this virus can do. It's not just like, hey, you got the chicken pox, do this, you get rid of them. Hey, you got the flu, which everyone is comparing the two to each other. It's different. It's more complex. It's not the same thing. Why can't we just listen and try to get rid of this? The biggest problem with this is, and I'm going to sound really mean saying that, we are relying on humans to take care of humans. This is a human problem that we have to do ourselves. They're trying to help us as much as possible or help the world by saying, hey, stay to yourself, quarantine, let's not go out, let's not do these things. But if we don't listen and we can't shed this virus, then it's going to stay here. It is on us to get rid of it. Us to follow what should be done. If you don't want to call them rules or guidelines or whatever, just call them common sense stuff. We should all be able to follow common sense, right? So I know nobody is happy with change. Nobody likes to be told what to do. I get that. This is historical stuff here. This is not just a little flu or somebody caught a cold and that's not it. This is way bigger than that. It is knocking people out at a rapid rate, rapid. So why can't we just do the human decent thing to do and just fight the disease and not each other? That's all I'm gonna say. Jen and I say more about it and we talk other stuff too. She's a really cool, funny person and we chat all about her experience in New York as well. Tons of food options, her laundry adventures. <laughs> it's pretty funny, she gets into a lot of it. I also wanna give out shout out to the schools around here. Not around here, but everywhere. Supporting their seniors, doing drive-bys with gifts. Like that's really cool. I could sit here and pinpoint schools, but it seems like everybody is doing something. So that is very awesome. Support your seniors. They're going through a crazy time just like the rest of us. And they're not getting the opportunities, you know, that we had back in the day. I'm going to say back in the day. I just had my 15-year high school reunion this past summer. So I will say back in the day. But it is Monday, the day after Sunday. And Sundays during quarantine time, or at least this part of quarantine time, mean the last dance. The 10-part docu-series about the Chicago Bulls. I have been saying the 97-98 Bulls, and that's the gist of it, saying, hey, this is the last dance, last time they were going to be together. But each episode dives into other stuff that has nothing to do, well, I guess it has to do with the 97-98 season, but it's a lead-up to it. So it's all about the Bulls, all about Jordan and Pippen and Robin and Phil Jackson and the people that made the Bulls the Bulls, how they came together, their past, their history. I am just going to continue to call it the Chicago Bulls documentary without saying the 97-98 Bulls documentary because it is about all of it. So we got episodes three and four last night, Sunday, April 26th. Episode three starts with Dennis Rodman. It's about Dennis Rodman for the most part. I do have to say out of the four episodes that we've seen so far, episode three is my least favorite. Yeah, Dennis Rodman went on a party. Yeah, we've already known about that. Yeah, we heard the Carmen Electra stories. Yeah, we read his book or we've seen that he had a book. He has been all over the place saying the same things. Like, hey, I'm me, I'm gonna do me, leave me alone. If I wanna go to Vegas for 48 hours, which is still crazy, I might be, you know, Call me old, that's fine, but you don't leave your team. You don't leave your job. 
in the middle of a project or in the middle of a season and say, hey, I got to get out of here. I'll be back in 48 hours. And then don't go back in 48 hours anyway. I am a Rodman fan. I loved what he did on the court. He didn't have to score to be very, very useful. He was a ball hawker for defensive purposes, rebounds. He dove in the stands. He jumped and put his body on the line every single game, every single minute. It was awesome to watch. And he is a great basketball player in my mind. But as a person, I'm not saying we all have to be super professional. You know, I'm not professional all the times. We all do our things. We're all human beings. But to that level is a different thing. That's kind of irresponsible if you ask me. It, it really is. Like maybe when I was that age, 13, 14, I'm like, oh man, that's cool. He's getting super drunk and then he's coming to win in the NBA championship. But imagine being his coach or his teammates or, you know, a league administrator and being like, what is this dude doing? Like this is not how we carry ourselves. And you shouldn't be. You don't have to be a role model, but be a decent dude to everybody else. I'm not saying he was bad to them because he totally wasn't. You know, they're all friends. They get along. He didn't really let them down because he comes the next day and he's trying his hardest and he's outrunning them and things like that. But it is still super crazy that that was even allowed then. Think about that now. If somebody, I'm not going to point out any names or who, you know, could be an alcoholic or a partier or any of the, anything like that. Just imagine if they took off for 48 hours in the middle of a season. What is going to happen? Social media is going to blow up. There's fines from the NBA, probably from the team. He might get benched. All kinds of craziness is going to happen. Dennis Rodman, I don't know if we want to say the word lucky, but if he was around now doing that stuff, it would not have floated. Not have floated at all. When he was on the Spurs and came to the Bulls, the Bulls were like the only team that wanted him because of his behavior, because of his demeanor. Now, was he a great player? Everybody knew that. But there's a mental side to it, too. So if he is, I'm not going to, I will say, throwing tantrums, throwing little fits because things are not going his way or he's not seeing things clearly, you're a grown man, bro. <laughs> grown man. You have to get it together. I guess that's why Phil Jackson goes down as one of the best coaches ever because he let that happen and talked to him about it and was real with him and things like that. And I mean, Phil was doing the same thing in the 70s wasn't really as watched as much in the 70s as it was the 90s and now it would be all over everywhere but i think they related that way because phil was like hey i was meditating and doing acid and partying in my own way so i get where you're coming from because we're different human beings but we're all different and we all have a job and you are getting paid millions of dollars to be on that basketball court did he have to give any of his money back because he wasn't at practice what is steve kerr jeb bushler or bill wellington or Michael or Scotty, like, hey, I'm here at practice, I'm doing this, but you give him a two-day vacation that he turns into five days, especially Scotty's like, hey, this dude's getting paid more than me, and I'm here? Imagine being Scotty Pippen, who we've talked about before. We find out he had a seven-year deal, $18 million for seven years. He was the 122nd highest-paid player in the NBA in 1997, but he's a top five to ten player in the NBA. Imagine being Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson saying, okay, Dennis, you take off for 48 hours. Go do your thing, then come back. But while you're doing that, all of us are going to do everything that we need to do. 
Oh, and then you take longer than 48 hours. But we're still going to do what we need to do and we'll wait for you. If I was Scottie Pippen, that would have made my blood boil to a level it has never boiled to before. Just stating. I get it. When we were younger or whatever, it was cool to look at. But now looking at it, I'm like, man, that's highly irresponsible. I can't even imagine if I was doing that now in my profession. It'd be like, you know what? I need to get out of here. My head, I need to go to Vegas. I need to party for a few days so I can get back into what I'm doing. Nah, it wouldn't fly. It wouldn't fly for any of us. And even if you wanted it to fly, I don't want to do that. Not at all. I mean, I might be different than a lot of people. But there's no reason to do that. If you can't get your mind into things without having to go and you know, get super crazy and tabloid life is what I'll call it, then maybe you're doing something wrong to begin with. And feel free to argue with me. If you want to post on Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, or Twitter, Edge of Your Seat P, send us an email, edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com, any of the above. If you disagree with me and think that Rodman's lifestyle was super cool and casual and that's okay, and that you, if you were the coach or the GM, would have said, yeah, Rodman, go ahead, take off. Let me know why you would do that. I'm very curious. Okay, so Rodman did come back and do what he was supposed to do. But what if he doesn't? You don't ever know what's going to happen. He still didn't come back when they asked him to come back. He was still doing things on his, on his own while he's getting paid millions of dollars by this company, this organization. What I did like about the Rodman part is you see the, com- the competitiveness. And that's why he gelled with Michael Jordan. Because they were both competitive and wanted to win. Sure, they went about it in different ways. But they both wanted to win. And that's what gels people. If you're an athlete and you see somebody just not trying their hardest, kind of jogging instead of running. You know, if you're not like that and you're the ultimate competitor and you're doing your all, your best, every single time you're out there, you're not going to interact with those people the same. But if you see somebody out there doing the same thing you're doing, especially if you're the best player in the league and you are training in the offseason and pushing weights, So you can beat those Detroit Pistons that have beaten you up for the last few years. Yeah, you want people around you just like that. And that's what Rodman brought. I thought that was really cool to see. Obviously, Rodman came after the Pistons. I mean, he was on the Pistons. He came after that. But he saw that work ethic while he was a Piston in Michael Jordan. So when he gets to the Bulls and sees that there's going to be somebody like that, then he wanted to join and play his hardest, which was cool. I really was interested in... The Doug Collins to Phil Jackson switch, it was kind of glossed over. I wish they would have done a better job of that. More details. Like, Doug Collins was a good coach. Sure, Phil Jackson was a good coach. Great coach. He became legendary. The icon. The GOAT of coaching. No doubt. But at that time, he was not. I wish they would have shown more of Jerry Krause behind the scenes, moving things around, because of guys that he wanted to put in position. It's funny because, you know, you go down the road to the 97-98 season and he wants Phil out. But rewind, and he pushed out Doug Collins to get in Phil Jackson. The irony of this docuseries and the way things are moving around and coming full circle are pretty crazy. I really wish they would have showed a little more of that because we would have seen more of Jerry Krause trying to be a puppeteer. And I like that they mentioned Tex Winders and what he did as an assistant coach and his offensive mind, I really didn't know that much. I knew he was a brilliant man when it comes to basketball. He had been around forever. But I always wondered why he wasn't a head 
NBA coach, and he was just say, I'm going to say to flunky with the Bulls. I wonder what would happen if he would have went into his own system and did his own thing. But, I mean, as a Bulls fan, I was happy he stayed. So it was cool to, like, shed a little bit of light on him, at least. I wish they would have done a little more. I am going over notes. Like, I jotted notes as the show was going and what I wanted to talk about. I jotted down 1990 Eastern Conference Final Pippin Migraine. I don't know if you've ever had a migraine. When I was younger, I had them constantly, probably like two a month. You cannot see anything. Your head is pounding like somebody just smashed it with a hammer. Lights, they could be 15 feet away and it's like they're touching your eyeball. And then your eyes are sensitive. Your head is already booming. And then your eyes, you can't see. Or like he said, it went black, it went blurry. He was seeing double. I've had times where I could put my finger in front of my face and I see five of them. It is crazy. For him to even think about getting on the court is a testament to what that dude's inner strength is. Wow. I couldn't even imagine that. I have tried to write stories. I have tried to do interviews. I have covered games with migraines. Whole different level of being on the court, playing at that level in an Eastern Conference final game. The closing game, too. Unfortunately, the Bulls lost. If Scotty's there, who knows? They might have won another one, win seven rings. And just added to the drama of the story, especially the next year when they're able to pull it off. I will never forget growing up, I always heard about the Detroit Pistons leaving the floor early in the 91 Eastern Conference Finals. Like in my mind, I'm like, what rude people? I try to keep the show PG. I have a bunch of explicit language that I could say about the Detroit Pistons right now, but I won't. I'll hold it back. That's crazy. Awful. Jordan even said it in the last dance. He's like, when we lost the Eastern Conference Finals last year, we didn't just walk off. I shook their hand. They showed footage of him hugging Bill Lambeer, hugging Isaiah Thomas, shaking their hand. Sportsmanship. Again, Michael Jordan used that word. Isaiah and the team just smiles and walks off with time still on the clock. I thought Michael has been great throughout these first four episodes, but when they handed him the video of Isaiah and what he was saying about the walk-off and, you know, the Boston Celtics had done it to them, he was like, I don't believe it. He's going to say what he wants to. I mean, it's 30-something years later. Of course he's going to change his opinion or, you know, make an excuse. Or He goes, I didn't like him then. I don't like him now. He said, there's still hatred. Still hatred for them. That's how much they hated each other. And how much that moment when the Detroit Pistons walk off the court, how mad that made the Chicago Bulls. If that Pistons team sticks together, say another five years, I highly doubt that they ever beat the Bulls ever again. Can you imagine how mad, especially a competitor like Michael Jordan, and it came off like that walk-off meant more than actually winning the conference finals. Like, hey, we're going to our first NBA Finals. That was overshadowed by the Pistons making fools of themselves. And actually, before watching this, I'm not going to say I'm a huge Pistons fan. That's totally not true. Chicago Bulls through and through. But I respected them. I liked them. I forgot about this walk-off. I forgot how they acted towards people. I forgot about all that. Now when I look back on them, I'm like, not as cool as I thought. Great team. And they played their style of ball and won with it. But as I look back at it, I'm like, nah, no, nah, no, nah, not, not the way that I would want to be remembered. And now I remember them as something different 
than I did when I was a kid. Throughout the docuseries, you've also been able to see how Jordan morphed into a complete player. It was all about him. He's dunking, showboating. He didn't really showboat. He was a showcase. That's a better word. He showcased his skills all the time. And not that he didn't care about his teammates. He didn't help move the spotlight from him to them. Come 1991 finals against the Lakers, all the dishes to John Paxton, letting him knock down shots, giving guys open opportunities to prove their worth, that's a complete player. It's not all about you. It is a team. And he says that in the docuseries, and I'm like, yeah, this is when it clicked. It started to click. He's like, okay, we keep losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm going to train harder. I'm going to get more muscle, and I'm going to become more of a team player. That is the work of a complete competitor and the GOAT. Like, there's a reason people call him the GOAT. And it's mentality like this that made him that way. Or made you think that way about him. Because he was going to do whatever he had to to win. They're talking about conspiracy theorists with the COVID-19 coronavirus. Also been doing some debating about the, again, Jordan-LeBron deal. That's been going on for years now. Jordan just trained, worked harder, tried to improve his team. LeBron jumping shit to be with superstars, forming super teams, instead of just trying to get it done in-house. I know, two totally different eras. In the era that Jordan was in, and that's how you did it, you stayed with the team and you pushed and pushed and pushed and tried to make things happen within, that's over. That's totally over. The player movement that happens now is redonkulous. Everybody is moving every one to two to three years. Nobody is sticking around anywhere. I think Steph Curry is the longest tenured player at a team right now. That's crazy. It's a couple other little things that I want to talk about with episodes three and four. Just little snippets. Rodman. Seven games with 20 rebounds and zero points. The most in NBA history. That's insane. Still getting the job done without having to score. Already talked about that, but I just wanted to put that out there. I thought it was really funny about Michael Jordan's security team. They called them the Sniff Brothers. <laughs> Being jock sniffers and called them the Sniff Brothers. That was hilarious. And they were just like, eh, it is what it is. We're getting paid to watch the GOAT. Why not? Call me a Sniff Brother. I don't care. That's not changing my bank account. What is changing my bank account is being right here next to this dude in this building. Going back to Rodman, Craig Seger walking by gives Dennis Rodman a $20 bill for his fines. It's like, here you go. You're going to need this to pay your fines. That was classic. Rest in peace, Craig Seger. I always enjoyed him, his crazy suits, his interesting commentary or his thoughts on things in the basketball game. Some people called him a comedy act. I didn't think he was a comedy act. I thought he was a real basketball brain with a flair. That's what I would call it. And to give Dennis Rodman 20 bucks, like, hey, this will help you. But all in all, I really, really like this docu-series so far. It's been cool. It's been interesting, entertainment, informative. I do think that episodes one and two were better than three and four. And I would call four better than three. I just... All the Rodman stuff, it, it's already been done. He says the same things. It's the same story that we've already known for since then. Since then. Obviously, we didn't know that he was in Vegas at that moment, but shortly after. And maybe you did. I was a young kid then, so maybe I didn't know. But there were still paparazzi. There were still people out there. Sure, everybody didn't have a cell phone and, hey, we're putting this on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything else right now. It wasn't like that. 
but he was still out there. He wasn't a quiet guy, not at all, but still very, very interesting, and it's good to have some kind of sports around us. Obviously, with no live sports, you got to turn to either past stuff or virtual stuff, you know, whatever we can to get our fixes. Speaking of fixes, in this time of quarantine, thanks to COVID-19, you may start to see a few things that could be fixed or updated around your home. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows and doors, deck designs, remodels, and garage and room addition. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815-910-5982 or on the Facebook page Olson Construction LLC or by email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. Also happening over the weekend was the NFL Draft. We discussed the first round on Friday since that happened Thursday night, but we did hop in to the rest of the rounds over the weekend, the remaining six since there's seven rounds. I put a poll up on Twitter on both my personal account, which is LaChance Writer, and Edge of Your CP, stating, how have the Chicago Bears drafted this year? 57 votes. We can't get that vote count higher anytime you see a poll on Twitter, on either my personal account or Edge of Your CP. Feel free to add your voice. Every vote counts. That's like a election or something. Before the Bears draft, out of those 57 votes, I put below average, average, and above average. Below average had 12%. Above average had 26%. Average had 61%. So average kind of blows the poll out of the water, and I kind of agree. It wasn't amazing we didn't get top flight players because we didn't have top flight picks. But we also didn't choke on our picks either. We got our needs, we got players and positions that we needed from schools that had solid records and did some great things on the football field to help these guys shine. In the second round with the 43rd pick, taking tight end Cole Komet from Notre Dame. He's big, he's fast, he has good hands. He gives whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, gives him another option, a big option that can catch. He's going to be the real deal, I feel. I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Famer or that's way down the road. But is he going to be a capable guy for the Bears to rely on to get the ball to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's going to help him a lot with that. Then we went cornerback, which is also a need. Prince Amukamura was let go. So they pick up Jalen Johnson from Utah. 6,995 pounds. He's tenacious. He will find the ball. So he's a ball hawker and he likes to get picks. It's like he knows where the ball is going to go before it even goes there. I didn't watch Utah play at all. I didn't watch Notre Dame play at all. But I've watched tons of clips since this draft has happened. Obviously, they do not show the plays that they mess up. 
or, you know, they're bad games. They did not show that. But what they did show looked good, and you can capitalize on those things. That's what you're looking for. The Chicago Bears grabbed an edge in Travis Gibson, cornerback, another cornerback, and Kendall Wilder from Georgia Southern. And I saw that he might be trying out to be a safety because they did not pick up a safety to go alongside Eddie Jackson. So it's quite possible some point in the year we see Kendall scoot over to safety and not be a cornerback. Then the Bears draft a wide receiver in Darnell Mooney. I don't know what the Bears receiving core is going to look like. Taylor Gabriel's gone. Anthony Miller suffered another shoulder injury. Don't know what his comeback status is, how he's feeling. So they're going to need guys to step up and hopefully... Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet helped the passing game. The last two picks of the Bears' seven picks were offensive linemen in Arlington Hambright and Lachavius Simmons. Some big, bulky dudes to help our quarterbacks and running backs. Like I said, nothing to wow you, blow you out of the water. But if you're a Bears fan or a football fan in general, just solid picks of guys that hopefully make that transition and play real solid football on the next level. I'm going to start adding a crazy story of the day. The crazy of the story today is Betsy Ross. No, I am not talking about Betsy Ross back in the day with the American flag. No, 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 no. I am talking about a Betsy Ross in California who is alive today. For 35 days, she held a duck egg in her bra. Her and her children were walking in a park or around a lake and somebody had brutalized nests and like broke a bunch of them up. There was eggs shattered everywhere. She found an egg that was slightly cracked and her kids asked her to try to revive it and that they wanted the duck to be alive. So instead of like trying to find a nest or build a nest, she figures, hey, I'm a plus size girl. I got a little extra to me, so why not share? It's like boob sweat will keep them warm. So she put the egg in her bra for 35 days. She slept with it in there, ate with it in there, did everything with the egg in her bra. I don't know about showering. I'm not trying to think about that. But the story in general is crazy. Super crazy. But congrats to her. She saved the duck and it hatched out of the egg. There's been some music stuff going on as well. Prince tribute over the weekend. It was cool, but it wasn't cool because Prince said, hey, I don't want none of that stuff before he died. Like, he didn't want these memory things. He didn't want like people playing his music, which I totally understand. It was cool to hear some of the stuff, but again, it's Prince. I mean, why not respect his wishes? Fred the Godson, rapper out of New York, known through Dipset Diplomats. I really liked him. I have for a while. I have tons of his mixtapes on my Spotify passes away COVID-19 complications. It's sad. The hip-hop community world is definitely going to miss him. He was pretty lyrical. Said a lot of stuff that meant things and made you think. So I've been going back and listening to quite a few of his old tracks and mixtapes. So just wanted to say rest in peace. One more thing before we get to Jennifer Castle Escatel. Big shout out to Travis Scott. We can't go to concerts. We can't be around people. We are trying to find ways to interact as much as we can. 
So why not use our number one tool right now? That's the internet and its capacity. So what does he do? He goes on Fortnite and does a concert, a virtual concert on Fortnite. It was amazing. I didn't watch it live, but I've seen clips and my friends were telling me about it. I'm not a Fortnite guy, but that's sick. Like that's awesome sick. I am glad that people are trying to expand their horizons, get their music out, keep trying to live while doing the decent thing and be quarantined. There's nothing wrong with being creative. This concert on Spotify racked up 12.3 million people. 12.3 million people hooked up their PlayStation or Xbox and watched Travis Scott in concert. Amazingly awesome. So shout out to him, keeping music alive, keeping people, at least Fortnite fans, something to look forward to. That's awesome. Again, I just said awesome about 10 million times in about 10 seconds. If you have not noticed, listening to Edge of Your Seat Podcast, that is my favorite word. Awesome is just awesome. Well, we'll leave the awesome behind for the intro and get to the awesomeness of the conversation with Jennifer Castle Escatel. Again, big shout out to her in New York doing her thing, front lines of COVID-19. Really appreciate her spending her time with me. And it sounds like we're going to have her back to keep us updated. Hopefully that happens. She is awesome for what she is doing out there. No doubt about that. We will be back on Wednesday and Friday. I might be throwing in a couple shows on Tuesday and Thursday. Not sure yet. But I have a lot of interviews racked up. And why hold on to them when I can get them out to you guys? Schedules permitting. You know, I work. But got at least 10 conversations waiting to get out to you. So please keep coming back to Edge of Your Seat Podcast to check out my awesome guests and everything that is going on in life. But until next time, stay awesome. Peace. Before I hit the record button, we had some laughs, shared some stories, and we're like, hey, why don't we put this on a podcast? Edge of Your Seat Podcast wants to welcome Jennifer Castle Escatel to the pod. What's up, Jen? Hey, what's up? So I just said your name. We said Jennifer Castle Escatel. So when you were younger, people called you White Castle? Yes, I would get those jokes a lot. I hated it. Why'd you hate it? Because it's stupid. I hate White Castle. It's gross. It is gross. It's like the worst food ever. I don't know how they can even call it a burger. I don't either. Well, the reason I asked you to be on is you were from Mendota. That's how I know you. I'm from Mendota as well. Work for the hospital as a nurse, correct? No, I was actually working for a long-term care facility in Toluca. Gotcha. So not even in Mendota? Nope. Okay. Just lived there. Gotcha. So still in the health field, and yeah. you were asked to go out to New York during this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic we are going through right now. So that's where you're currently at, right? New York? Yeah, I'm in Manhattan, right on Times Square in New York City. So normally that would be something like, hey, I got to go to Times Square. It was awesome. Can you still say that now during the time that it is? No. I think part of the experience that everybody talks about when they go to Times Square is it's like shoulder to shoulder, like just people everywhere and all the different cultures and everything you see when you're there. When I walked to Times Square, the, like, I don't know, probably when I first got here, it's like empty. There's still people on the streets and you still have like your homeless people. There's a lot of cop presence, which is actually pretty cool. But it's definitely not shoulder to shoulder. Like, you could easily put 10 feet between people. 
So like I said, they, somebody reached out to you to go out there. What were the terms of you going out there and what exactly are you doing? So I received a bunch of emails from like travel nursing companies and I just kind of picked one and inquired on it. But while I'm here, I'm on an eight week contract. Started like April 5th and I'll be here till May 30th. I am currently an employee of NYU Langone Hospital. Work in the Kimmel Pavilion, which is like the newer side of the hospital. And we currently have floors 8 through 17 that are all COVID patients with just varying levels of illness and where they're at in the process, like day one to day 30. So, you know, we can all, you know, talk about the COVID-19 and say whatever we want to say, but we're not really battling with it, you know, face to face. What are some things that you've seen with the patients and things that this virus is doing to people? I wish there was a way for everybody to see it so that they would understand how much the social distancing is actually helping and enough with the annoying protesting. Um, So somebody with COVID that comes into the emergency room initially is like short of breath. Within 24 hours, they can no longer breathe on their own. They're put on mechanical ventilation, at which time we have to then look at their organ functions. Um, A lot of times, I mean, I've taken care of patients on nine different drips. One medication is treating a side effect of another medication. When people are laid out in a bed for a really long time, we have to treat them with like anticoagulants so that they don't clot their blood. But with that, now we've seen, and nobody really knows why or has the answer, but there's bleeds. Um, We've had a lot of GI bleeds, brain bleeds. Sometimes they stop bleeding on their own. Um, We're trying to put together a team to rush them down to a CAT scan to see why and where and can we fix it. You know, like they're chemically, medically sedated so that we can give them the medications that they need so that their bodies can heal. We feel like they'll get over the COVID and maybe start to get a little better. The next thing you know, the fever spikes, the weight counts go up, and now they've got pneumonia. And then you have to restart or start on a new antibiotic, which in turn causes diarrhea. So then it's like we're trying to give them stuff for that. Or because they're not eating, then they're constipated. Um, Almost all of them have an NG tube, which is a tube that goes from your nose to your stomach. We give them tube feedings through there. It's comparable to, like, baby formula. But there are some of them that can't tolerate that, so then we put them on, like, IV medications, like a multivitamin bag, to feed them that way. I don't know, it's just a lot. Like, they'll be completely fine and stable, and then you walk away for 20 minutes, and you come back, and you've got a rapid response team in your room with your patient because their heart rate's at 170, their blood pressures are in the 200s. So this isn't just like, hey, I got sick, this is what happened. This is a complex, multi-step virus absolutely like it's not like oh i have the stomach flu i might throw up and have the shits for a day it's multi-organ system failure it's not just oh it's in my lungs um i had a friend earlier today actually she's out in california and i don't think that she got tested for it but just based on her symptoms and what she's going through you can pretty much guarantee she has it she asked me why is it like covid is in your lungs but it makes you cough but you can't cough this out well, it's because COVID found its happy place. It's sitting in your lungs. It doesn't want to come out. So then you have to treat ways to get, you know, the coughing to get going. But then it makes you more contagious because you're coughing more out and all over. And she has her family. So that's one of the things that worries a lot of people is one person in the household gets it. What do you do? You just tell your husband and your kids to leave? As a health provider, being on the front lines of COVID-19, when you first decided to, hey, I'm going to go to New York, sign the contract, go over there, you had to have been kind of worried or anxious of what you were getting yourself into. So I 
literally in five days from the time I like submitted the application to leaving was, was only about five days. And I was like, man, I got this. Like I'm smart. St. Margaret's hospital is actually where I worked. It taught me everything about being in the ICU. I was like, I got this. I can do this. The first day I walked on the COVID floor, I was like nervous. My stomach was turning like, oh my God, like yesterday, 24 hours ago, I was like, oh my God. And when you walk by somebody on the streets or in a store, like, oh my God, they might have COVID. I just walked onto a floor with 34 patients that are guaranteed COVID positive. And probably half of the nursing staff is carrying it, but asymptomatic. Even now, I mean, I've been here, today is day 19. And when I get in that Uber car ride every morning to go to the hospital, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to walk into today? It's just a hot mess of emotions. So there's no chance that you're going anywhere without gloves and a mask? Actually, I don't wear gloves. I think that's a common misconception. The gloves aren't going to do anything more than your bare hands can do. Because even if you have gloves on, you need to still be using, like, hand sanitizer in between. Because if you touch one thing, then touch another thing, you just contaminated it. So it's more about using a lot of hand sanitizer and, yes, mask everywhere. Um, the mayor of New York passed, I think it was on April 17th, that anytime you're out in public or a public place, you have to wear a mask. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that part about the gloves. I didn't really understand that. I wear gloves everywhere just to make sure, but I guess it really doesn't matter. Nope. So if you're looking at it this way, like if you have on a pair of gloves and you're pushing your little shopping cart through the grocery store, you reach over to the shelf and you pick up a box of food, you set it in your cart, then your phone rings. So then now you're reaching in your pockets, pick up your cell phone. So everything that you just touched on the cart, on the box is now on your cell phone. You put your cell phone back in your pocket. You keep shopping, you're touching your money, you're touching your card, the machine. You get out to your car, you take your gloves off, you reach in your pocket and you pull out your cell phone. Or you think those terms are yeah, if anything was on the phone, then now it's on your hands. Yes, correct. And then your face itches or your nose or your eyes, and then you touch it. So wearing gloves, I mean, if anything, it'll protect, like, your skin integrity so, like, it doesn't get all dry and cracked and, like, burn. But you still, if you're going to wear the gloves, use hand sanitizer, too. How long have you been a healthcare employee? This is my 12th year as a nurse. So 12 years as a nurse, have you seen or had to deal with anything that has been as crazy as this? Never. Not even close. You said earlier, you know, everybody making protests. I've seen them on Facebook and Twitter and you hear them. When you do see people in public, you don't think that this is, you know, a political scam or anything like that. So you're seeing it on the front line. So this is for real, for real. For real, for real. Like, this is not a political scheme. And it's, and it's not funny. Like, for protesters, especially like I've seen where they're um, arguing against nurses, trying to somehow say that we're doing it or whatever, we're evil. It's like, I just pray for them that they don't get directly affected by it, that one of their loved ones or they themselves don't get it, because that's the only way they're going to actually truly understand what this is doing to people. Um, I read a, st a statistic the other day, like 88% of people who get put on a ventilator die. It's like an 80-20 more like fatality rate. Like, it's not a joke. It's not funny. They're social distancing, like, for a reason. Also, another thing that was said or heard, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, I don't know if it's passed or if he's put it in play yet, but saying that we should do the stay-at-home order for another month. I've seen all kinds of complaints about that, stating we need to get back in businesses. People want to be outside of their house and shop. You kind of got to look at it and be like, what's more important? I know. And then, I mean, so you can say, all right, well, fine. We won't go shopping. We'll do it online. Well, online, there's still somebody out there that's pulling this stuff out of stores, putting it in boxes, and sending it to us. Yes, it's going to crash our economy, but at some point in time, probably when it gets warmer, this COVID crisis is going to start to dwindle. And then when the businesses 
open back up, they will flourish. They will make back everything that they lost. Is it making today any easier? No. But I guess there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Like it's not going to be forever. And the longer people don't listen to the rules and do their social distancing, the longer this is going to stay around. Just in this week alone, parts of New York started to open back up. And I'm not sure if they were supposed to or if they're allowed to. But like little corner stores, um, Starbucks reopened, but they're at least doing it smart. Um, but like liquor stores and delis even I've seen open. And it's just like we've all talked about the second wave. Like we feel like the hospitals finally stabilized somewhat. Like we don't have as many new cases coming in, but now it's still continuing to treat the ones that are in there. The ones that have been there for 30 days when all of this started. Most of them are dying. I mean, the other day working, one out of five was going to live. One out of five was going to live. In my row of five patients that I stood in front of that day. But with that being said, within a couple days, I had a new group of patients and only one out of five was going to die. So it's like a hit or miss. And it drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, yeah, but it's like for the people who are old or like if they already have other illnesses. Wrong. I had a man in his 40s with no past medical history, wasn't overweight, on a ventilator for like 23 days now. So it's not just the old. I will say, though, I think parents are doing a really good job at protecting their kids. We've not seen a lot of kid cases. What about uh, teenagers, college kids? Uh, not a lot. I want to say the most are like 30s and up. Yeah, I've had, uh, there's been a couple teenagers that I've heard about. I haven't cared for them personally. But yeah, 30s, 40s, a lot of mine have been in like their 50s. I helped keep an 84-year-old grandma alive the other day. How'd you do that? Well, I had to disagree with the physician's assistant. When I walked in at 8.30 in the morning, he threw his hands up and said, we've got to intubate. And I said, or you could give her a minute. Because you know and I know, if she goes on a ventilator, she's not coming off of it. 84-year-old bodies aren't made to have something breathe for them and then take it out and expect their lungs to be able to work on their own. Um, long story short, we ended up increasing some medications with her um, to kind of keep her more calmed. She was on something called nitric oxide that helps with oxygenation. Then we had a non-rebreather mask on her and a high-flow nasal cannula. And something that they've seen work is we lay them on their stomachs. It's been used to treat other respiratory illnesses, but for whatever reason, it helps them. And because we were able to do the things that we did for her, she did not get intubated. Well, that's awesome. Good thing to keep her off of that then. Yes. Like, that's our ultimate goal. If we don't have to intubate, we don't want to. I know I only got you for a short little time, so a couple more questions real quick. From, you know, what you're seeing and, you know, you see these patients going through, and has there been any talk about long-term symptoms or something that could happen, you know, a couple years down the road or something from this virus? It's all speculation. Nobody knows anything about this. The questions, like the most popular questions, is like, well, if I get it, will I get it again? Well, if you get the flu, do you get it again? Absolutely. I think they've found like four different strands of this COVID virus. And if it's something that stays around and, you know, mutates to a different form, if you've had it once, I'm sure you'd have it again. And with there being four different strands and with some people listening to the quarantine and some people not, and, you know, humans being humans, whether they want to agree with what's going on or, you know, not, do you see any kind of timetable for this? No, because I would love to say that I feel like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, there's evidence in the number of cases coming in, but, okay, so then we reopen everything, and then what happens? Somebody who's carrying the virus who's asymptomatic sneezes one time in a crowded restaurant. You've now just infected everybody in, like, a 13-foot radius because they've, new studies came out where the virus is actually traveling 13 feet, not just 6 feet. And let me tell you, 
I am one, you know, I can't wait for things to open. My girl Kaylee to do my lashes, Allie to be able to do my hair. I need to see a chiropractor. It seems little, but those are things I once enjoyed. But, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of them while I'm trying to keep them alive and not let them die. But it's like, you know, we all are missing out on those things. It's not just one of us, it's everybody. Yeah, that's the one thing that has bothered me with the government. Continuously putting time frames on something like, hey, we're going to be back to normal at the end of March, then it's the beginning of April, then it was the end of April, now it's the middle of May, for Illinois at least, and it's like, why do you keep doing that? Because we're not meeting these deadlines because the virus is still here. Our deadline should be, let's get rid of this virus, whatever we have to do, and then let's get back to normal. But society works on time. They work on evidence-based. So by them giving like a date, May 15th, and saying, you know what, we're going to open by May 15th, in hopes of having everything under control. If the government or our governors are just like, eh, everybody's social distance and we'll get back to normal eventually. People are going to be like, what are you talking about? So when you throw out that date, it gives them a sense of hope that by that date, maybe, just maybe, we still have to extend it, yeah, I mean, and that causes frustration. But I'm telling you, if you take out those numbers and those dates, the frustration level would be even greater. I can totally see what you're saying, and you're probably right compared to my opinion. I can definitely see what you're saying, but at the same time, like you said, we get to those dates and we try to extend them, then everybody's like, hey, why are we doing this? Or they see the cases have dropped down a little bit and like, hey, why are we still quarantining? Let's go to this house party that my friend invited to, and then bam, we're still in the same rotation. Right, and that's where I think it falls on the government and unfortunately the media to throw out statistics and proof and evidence of this is how many cases we still have, this is what's going on in our hospitals, this is why we're not opening. We can't just say, you know, it's annoying, you can't just, you know, if they were like, oh, sorry, we're just not going to reopen today. Throw them out numbers, throw them out facts. Knowledge is power. We only fear the things that we don't know. By being able to know... I think helps people understand. Is there anything else that you want to talk about Corona while I have you here? I could go on forever. It's just reminding people, wash your hands if you do have to go out, wear a mask, limit your exposure to other people, realize who you're around, keep your kids, you know, I'm not going to say inside because they clearly need to be outside, but in your yard, if they want to see their friends, I mean, my six-year-old, my nine-year-old, they FaceTime their friends. And I'm sure they're FaceTiming you too. Oh, yes. I FaceTime all of my children every night. Some other things that you've been doing, you have received some gifts from the community, which I'm sure for you and for them has been awesome on both sides. Holy amazing. So initially when I signed up for this, I did it for my own personal reasons. I don't even know how to explain it. It was more of like a self-fulfillment. Like I knew that there were things that I could do to help. And when I heard about the situations of the nurses and how many patients they had, well, wait a minute, I'm a nurse. I worked in the ICU. I could go out there and help. Like I looked at it simply as that, like just another day at the office. And then four days before I left, I posted to social media that I was leaving. And then it was, oh, our hometown hero. I don't even look at myself like that. I mean, I never did it with any intentions of ever seeking out any recognition for it at all. I mean, I could have been the only one to know about it or my own family, and that would have been good enough for me. However, the outpouring love from our Mendota community has been crazy and greatly appreciated because after a really long day at work, when I walk in my hotel doors and they say, Miss Jennifer, we have a package for you. You know, and that little light turns on inside and you get a little excited. And, you know, people are thinking about you and it's fun to open up the packages. What are some cool things you've received? 
Okay, so the snacks have been insane, which I much appreciate. And might I add, I shared them with the nurses. So while working a 12 and a half hour shift, you know, that's what you have to work. There's a lot of times, like we get free food brought into us from some of the local restaurants, which is really nice. But we also share with other floors. And if you, by the time you get in there, there may be no food left. And then by 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you're crashing. Um, so I'll take, like, gallon-sized Ziploc baggies of some of these snacks, um, and I share, along with, like, the masks. Um, we kind of had a mask party yesterday at work, and I took a bunch in, and everybody put them on, and I took pictures of everybody and posted them so that the people back home who made the masks can see that they're actually being put to use. I've been given gift cards, coloring books, really funny coloring books like COVID-19 and nursing coloring books. Tonight, I received, which was awesome, Two bottles of wine from one of my really good friend's parents. I worked with a nurse at St. Margaret's, and we call her Grandma, Grandma Honey. And she makes the most amazing chocolate chip cookies, and I received those in the mail. Got monster cookies, which are amazing, like homemade, sent to me in a box. I posted about my feet hurting one day, and a friend and her family sent me a new pair of Adidas shoes. That's what I like, everybody just reaching out and helping. You went to go help New York, and people back home are like, hey, we can help her while she's helping other people. It's a beautiful thing. Right, and then, I mean, I have to shout out to Michelle Beats. Um, she has given my older daughters who are staying at home food, gift cards, desserts. Um, before I left, she brought me magazines. So it's not even just helping me here in New York. Like, several people from the community have offered to, like, if my daughters need anything, the older ones. That's fantastic. So while you were in New York, you were mentioning they would bring in food. Has there been some cool stuff that you've been able to eat? I mean, you have way more options than you probably had in Mendota. Yeah, so I try to, like, when I do my daily posts on Facebook, I'll try to take a picture of my lunch every day. Like, we've had hummus and falafel, and I think we had Vietnamese brought in yesterday. Pizza's always one of my favorites, and I know I'm from the Chicago area. However, New York pizza is amazing. I found a cute, cool little sushi place around the corner. I did wings tonight from Atomic Wings. Like, Uber Eats was, like, the best thing ever made. I bet, especially in your situation. You don't know where to go. Oh, my God, yeah. They can bring them to you. And right now it's free delivery for healthcare frontliners, so I don't pay any delivery fees. Oh, that's fantastic. And I've met some friends out here. Very cool, very cool. It's probably hard to meet a lot of friends, but people you work with and things like that, I'm sure you're running into people and being as casual as possible. Right. I mean, it's just weird. Like, so when we're in the hospital and we're walking by, like, say a girl I worked with four days ago and I was just saying, hey, what's up? Um, we just hit elbows. Like, instead of, like, the high five, everybody just kind of here does elbows. And, uh, like, all of us travel nurses, I think, have kind of grouped together, too, because we're just on the floors helping the other nurses that have worked together forever. But they've been so appreciative. Like, not one bad thing has come from them. Like, they are more than thankful that we came in to bail them out. When I got here three weeks ago, it was still amidst the chaos that was like, you know, the end of March, beginning of April, when it was still the uncertainty and nurses were taking like three ventilated patients at once. Now, on a good day, we're like a one-to-one, -one, like one patient to one nurse, because it's that intense. Well, I had two patients yesterday, but I didn't sit down until 7.15 at night to finally chart for the whole day. So what time do you go in the morning and what time do you leave the hospital? So I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning just to wake up a little bit, turn on the news, just to kind of keep in contact with, like, the stats of the COVID out here in New York. 
I get in an Uber about 7.35, get to the hospital. We start our morning huddle about 8 a.m. And then I'm walking into the locker room to change out of my scrubs at about 8.30. By the time I get down to the front of the hospital, back in an Uber, back to my hotel, it's about 9 o'clock at night. So that's a full day. Yeah. Wow. And how many days off a week do you have? I work four 12s a week. So I'll usually do like two or three in a row, and then I'll have one day off, two or three in a row, one day off. 12-hour shifts cannot be fun, especially what you're doing. Wow. No, my feet hurt. <laughs> but now you got some new Adidas. I know, but I can't wear them to work. They're too cute. Ah, oh, too cute. Yeah, like, it's gross. I mean, when I change out of my scrubs and my shoes at the end of the day, like, I still bleach my shoes, but no. Those will be for, you know, when I get to go take a walk. Gotcha. Now, through all this stuff that you're doing, whether it's, you know, checking out Times Square, you know, working with different coworkers and patients, are you doing anything to, like, keep track of this? Uh, whether it's your Facebook posts, I know you're doing those, but are you keeping a journal? Or so, one of my friends suggested whether when she wants me to write a book someday, we'll see about that. But um, I started doing a journal just because there's a lot of little things that happen throughout the day, my days off or the days working, that, like, I'll forget about. So if I'm telling somebody a story, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that happened. I totally forgot about that. Then I can bust out my little notebook, and I just jot those things kind of, like, off to the side that I had already forgotten about just in a matter of a couple days. And, I, you know, I put in their experiences at the hospital, the patients, what they've needed that day, or, like, when I went to see the Freedom Tower, Statue of Liberty, who I met. Since the military came in, I feel a lot better in this city, and I don't have to go anywhere alone. Kind of elaborate on that. So there's military there now? I, I think you said uh, off recording that there were military in your hotel now. Yeah, so when I first got here, like, there's three hotels I imagine, like, picture downtown Chicago where all the buildings are together. I was in the middle one, and it was fairly empty. It was almost eerily empty. Um, there's, I don't know how many floors in my particular hotel that when the shelters close, the city of New York are paying for so that the families that lived in these shelters can live in these hotels. A little creepy. Just a I want to say, yeah, by, like, the third or fourth day, I went to come into my hotel one night, and I looked in my lobby door, and it was full of military so since then my hotel the two hotels next to me and the one across the street are all full of navy national guard and army so that probably helps you feel a little more comfortable yeah it's you know free entertainment i candy <laughs> i mean who doesn't love a man in uniform hello <laughs> but they're cool i mean like Within the first couple of days, it was a man and a woman from the Navy, and they were getting ready to walk, and I could tell, and I really wanted to go to the Duane Reed Pharmacy because I needed a couple things, but it's super sketchy walking on 8th Avenue that way. So I just kind of introduced myself, said who I was, and asked if I could walk with them, and they were like, yeah, sure. Well, at least you're, you know, finding, I guess, uh, companions or something you can share the story with and, you know, making new friends. Yeah, and they've been at the Javits Center, which I guess is like our McCormick place, where it's like makeshift. So that's primarily where like the military have been. But then I met a different friend. He's in the National Guard, and one of his jobs is recovery. So to elaborate on that, he basically gets calls or messages to different locations within the city where they go and pick up the bodies. The bodies of the COVID-19 fatalities? Yes. Um, and I've heard horror stories from that. Like, you know, some of the apartment buildings that don't have elevators and these people are three and 400 pounds that they have to carry. 
ones that have been found days later that are like decomposing already and then like where the bodies are stored inside basically like freezer trucks until coroners if they're going to do an autopsy do one and then there's the people where the families aren't claiming them and they're going to basically do a mass burial somewhere in new york so like there's so many different parts to this covid that people just don't get it's not just nurses and doctors in the front lines in the hospitals it goes all the way down to military that are you know driving around picking up the deceased one day i looked out my window and there was a dead body on the sidewalk and it's like an area right in front of a restaurant where like homeless people sit a lot. I mean, I can't speculate, but I would assume it was a COVID. There was no violence. There was no gunshot. There was no blood on the sidewalk because, yes, I walked down there and looked after everybody was gone. But, yeah, I mean, I just sat there and watched out my window. It was like the officers or whomever it was put them in a body bag and covered them up with a white sheet, threw them in the back of a truck. And something really cool that's going to happen in like three minutes, um, in the city of New York at 7 p.m. every night, the whole city kind of stops and the fire trucks and the police officers will sound their sirens and everybody opens their windows and claps for healthcare workers. Oh, that's pretty I amazing. can say that my, my first time seeing it and experiencing it, like every hair on my body stood up. Like you got the goosebumps, the chills, like those happy tears in your eyes when like a new baby's born or somebody's getting married. It's insane, the support from New York City for the healthcare workers. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and I'm like pretty far away from the hospitals and it's literally all over the city. But yeah, that has to make you guys feel awesome. It does. I mean, because like I said, I think to any nurse, my daughter always says something really cute, like not all superheroes wear capes. Like, I'm glad that they look at me like that and so that they one day will do something bigger and better for themselves. Not for everybody else, but for themselves. And through this, like, I mean, I have been, I have received messages where like women have said, you know what? Oh my God, because you've done this, I feel like I could do this. Like to empower anyone to be like, wow, there is more. Like, I could do this. To us nurses, like I said earlier, like, it's another day at the office. We're a nurse for a reason. We don't discriminate against the sick. I will say, though, just from what I've seen, more men either get it or the men are not healing as quickly as the women. Like, out of 10 patients, one will be a woman and the rest will be men. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's just something I've seen. That's not good for the men. No, but it's good for me. I'm sitting at my window listening for the city to light sound out. Oh, I kind of want to hear that in the background. Can we do that? I don't know if we can because, like, right now, I'm on the 32nd floor, which is the top of my hotel. Yeah, I can hear it now. We'll have to do a podcast sometime at 7 o'clock, and I'll have to go outside. Yeah, there goes the siren. Yeah, I don't Can you hear the bell? I don't. Well, yeah, we will have to catch that. That would be awesome. Yeah, so, like, somebody right now I can hear doing cowbells. That's so cool. A great view, by the way. I can see like the CNN building, the Freedom Tower, the Empire State Building. You got the view of Manhattan, like that. When you hear Manhattan, yeah. like that's what you hear, like that's what you think. Yeah, I'm kind of like right in the center of all of it. You hear this? This is awesome. I wish oh. I could. I wish I listened to here too. I know you're looking out the window and there's fire trucks and everything else going off. I wish we could hear it, but you're too high. Thirty-two <laughs> floors. I know. So maybe we do this again. You'll have to go outside so we can hear it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you, Jen, for spending some time with us. I know you're very, very busy doing great work. And for all the Edge of Your Sea listeners, I usually don't speak for them, but I know they thank you as much as I do for what you're doing. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome very, very much. We can do it again.
Like I said, every day in New York so far has been an adventure. Like you and I talked about my laundry adventures earlier today. Maybe for a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about your laundry adventures and how long it took you to do your laundry because of the machine. And the military. God love them. However, I'm going to start hitting a reserve sticker on the washer. (laughs) Well, since we've already said half of the story, let's do that real quick before I let you get out of here. So you were doing your laundry today. Tell us the story of your laundry. Okay, so really quick. In the basement of my hotel is the only laundry where you can do your own washer, like do your own laundry. So the two buildings next to me plus mine are using my facilities. I think there's only one, two, three washers, one, two, three, four, five dryers. And out of those five dryers, two of them make god-awful noises when you use them. So out of the three that are halfway decent, only or one of those doesn't really dry your clothes. So anyway, I literally wait two hours to get a free washer. Like, I had to sit there and tell people, no, too bad you're not getting it, that I was next in line. And as I'm sitting there, because I set my timer, and it's like one minute was left on the washer, and then it would be rebalancing, and it added like five minutes. And then it would get back down to one minute, and it would add more five more minutes for rebalancing. Finally, it got done, and I get it into a dryer, set an alarm for 30 minutes, go back down there, and it says, like, sensing. Whatever the hell that means. But you open up the dryer, and your clothes are still wet. So then you have to hit the power button, open the door, close it, hit the power button, turn it back on, and hit start. I had to do that, like, three times for my clothes to finally get dry. So to do one load of laundry, it literally took the whole entire day. (laughs) And we talked for, like, 20 minutes, and that was after you Oh, wait, and, right. And while I was doing that, just to free up a dryer, it was a military dude's clothes and in the dryer. I definitely took his clothes out of the dryer and folded them for him just to free up a dryer. <laughs> so you're welcome, man, who got nicely folded clothes. <laughs> so not only are you helping COVID-19 patients, you're helping the military by folding their clothes. Right. And, okay, so really cool about the military, like, it's usually in the laundry areas that we talk. Like, they're like, oh, my God, you know, we talk about where we're at, what we're doing, how we got here. Um, and they're like, that's so awesome of you. Thank you for coming out to New York City to help. And I was like, whoa, thank you. Like, I may be sacrificing my own life to save the lives of others for two months. You guys do this for your life. Like, it's a lifelong thing. So thank you. So it's like a thank you to a thank you. Most people hate when you answer a question with a question kind of thing. But in retrospect, it's just like, Wow. Like, they think it's cool what I'm doing, and I think it's cool what they're doing. Yeah, both are awesome. Uh, loss of words of, you know, adjectives. It's incredible what all of you guys are doing. Well, thanks. No problem, my friend. Thank you for joining this podcast and sharing some light on what is going on in New York, your trip out there, yeah, and, yeah. and what you're doing. Not a problem. So we'll have to do this again. For sure.